Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. It's so exciting that what we are going to talk about this morning, it's about the, the law of the Medes and the Persians. But it's within that series, which is Seeds and Swords. Someone say, the law of the Medes and Persians. I'm trying to get this as interactive as possible. Praise the Lord. <laughs> because these seats are, are quite comfortable, you see. So, what is it? What is the law of the Medes and the Persians? Where does it come from? I think when, when I just say that, maybe someone, someone is like, I came across that. I have seen that. I have noted that before. You know, it's, it's a phrase which can be used, for example, I, I, I'm drafting an agreement and I'm saying this paragraph carries the weight and the maxim of the law of the Medes and the Persians. The law of the Medes and the Persians is actually a phrase that comes from the Bible. And some of you, you understand from the book of Daniel that the people, the Jews, the people of God, were taken into captivity into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar the king. So Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar became the king at that time. And over time, you understand if you read now in, in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel, Daniel explains this very well as the writer of that book that Belshazzar, after Nebuchadnezzar was no longer the king, you know the story about Neb King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, his son, became the king. And that's the man who saw the writing on the wall. The writing which basically said, many, many take Ufasin. And Daniel was brought in to interpret that writing. And Daniel stands as, as a Jew in captivity. And he interprets it this way. And he says, in short, king, you have been weighed. And you, you have been found wanting. And actually, your kingdom is going to be divided by the Medes and the Persians. To make us understand is that that very night when the interpretation was given, the Bible records that Darius was killed, that, that, that King Belshazzar was killed, and Darius took over. And the Bible records Darius the Mede. So that, began, began, that was the beginning of the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, if we're going to read Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, verse number 8, and now Daniel, Darius was, was now the king. And I'll explain this a little bit. And this is what it says. It says, now, O king, establish the decree and, the, and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. 
The law of the time in the Middle Persian Empire was unalterable. It was unchangeable. Once the king has signed it, it became inviolable. Even by the king himself. And therefore chapter 6 of Daniel starts this way. It says, now in those days, Darius, when he became king, he established what they called satraps, which were basically governors, 120 of them in each of the provinces. And above them, he appointed three men, and Daniel was one of them. These satraps were supposed to actually report to these three men, and Daniel also then, with these three men, report to the king, so that the king does not suffer any loss. And because Daniel has an excellent spirit, the Bible records, and the king was so impressed by Daniel to the extent that he thought to himself that he might elevate him further. But the news did not really entice the, the other guys. So what did they do? They set a trade. They said, let's find a fault within this man called Daniel and Let's make him fail that he's not elevated. The Bible records that they could not find any error. They could not find any fault in him. To the extent that they said we can only find fault in the law of his God. Therefore they tricked the king in this way. The way we have just written, where we have just read rather. He said that these guys they came and said look all the administrators including us. The satraps, also the advisors, and everyone in the kingdom, we have consulted and we have gathered. And therefore we have de determined this. And we ask you, O king, to make it in writing and make it a decree. What was it? He says, we want to say in the next 30 days, no man in your kingdom shall pray to God or any other God except to you. In other words, they were saying, Darius, you are going to be God in the next 30 days. Just for the next 30 days, you will be God. Every man in the kingdom will be praying to you. What a trap. And the king accepted. And the king made a decree according to the law of the Meds, of the Medes and the Persians, which does not change, which does not alter. Now, Daniel, when he heard that, the Bible records that he went into his room and he opened the windows and then faced Jerusalem and started praying. And the Bible says that day, even that very day, he prayed three times and they were watching. And they went with a report to the king and said, King, did you not say? that any man who shall be found praying in the next days to any other God than you will be thrown in the den of lions. And the king said in verse 12, he says, yes, it is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. And then they said, look, this Daniel whom you favor so much is the man who is not considering your laws. He is actually praying to another God. The Bible records that the king was so favoring this guy to the extent that the, that whole day to sunset, he was trying to make sure that he could release Daniel somehow. 
To the extent that that night, the Bible says the king was fasting for Daniel. But then, they reminded him. He said, oh king, it's according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, you know the rest of the story. Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. And the angel came, he says, Daniel, that the angel, oh king, came to, in the night and stopped the mouths of the lions because I had no wrong in myself. This is one of, of, the, of the guys in the Babylon Empire, or in the, Median, in the Middle Persian Empire, rather, who was affected by the law of the Medes and the Persians. I'm going to give another example where this law actually affected the children of God. Now, if, if we read in the, in the book of Esther, so read Esther 3 from verse 8 to 10. Now, this time it was no longer Darius. It was another king, and his name was Ahasuerus. The other name of this king is called Xerxes. I think to, to people who watched movies and documentaries, I think you are more, you are more um, uh, familiar with the, with the name Xerxes. So Ahasuerus was the king, the Persian king at the time. And the Bible records that Vashti, the queen, who was so beautiful. Oh, just reminds me, uh, you know, in our college days, um, we, we, when we saw someone who was rather uh, beautiful, we, in, we, we were, me and my brothers in church, we, we used to say, she's, she's, a, she's a daughter of Job, because Job records in Job 42, 42, he says, none in that time was as beautiful as the daughters of Job, just like my wife, by the way, I'm just saying. <laughs> so Vashti, the, the wife of the king Ahasuerus at the time was so beautiful. And the king thought of just parading her beauty on one of, one of, his, of his face. And obviously we know the story that she, she declined and she, she was banned from the presence of the king. So through some miraculous circumstances, Esther, who was also beautiful, the Bible records that she was beautiful, but also she was an orphan, was raised by Mordecai, the first cousin. And, and uh, by, by some godly events, she became the queen. But at the time also, there was a man, Mordecai, and he was also a Jew. The man did not want to bow to any man. There was a man who was called Haman, who was so elevated and was second in command, and he wanted to be honored. So any man who would come across this man, Haman, second in command, would, was, was required to, to pay some homage, some honor. But Mordecai could not. And where we are reading now, here, is what the Bible says. It says, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples. 
and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. Now again, we see a man, Haman, trying to trick the king to sign an agreement, to sign or to pass into law something that will basically um, make him feel good. It's nothing to do with the kingdom. It has nothing to do with the king. And he says in verse 9, if it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into king's treasuries. Verse 10 says this, so the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Amedata, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. So brothers and sisters, it was signed. And what was, what was the decree? It is to, to kill. It is to destroy, to annihilate every Jew in every province of the Persian Empire. For what reason? They do not follow the laws. But is it true? It's just men, Mordecai, who does not want to pay homage to Haman. But because at that time, they themselves, the kings, they considered themselves to have some divine qualities. They, they, they consider themselves to be gods. And therefore, it, it, it prickled themselves too much to the extent that they wanted to destroy the children of God or the people of God at the time. The king did not know at that time that he was actually signing a sentence of his wife because the wife also was a Jew. Now, we know the story in between, but on Esther 7 verse 3, we, we now see how God favored Esther to go before the presence of the king and to make a request. And this is what he says. The queen Esther answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king. You know, Esther had to find some way to go to the king and she made a self-invitation. You know that she fasted. You know when they had this, they fasted about this, the Jews, that is, so that this thing can, can pass away or they, can, they may not be killed or they, that Esther may find some, some, some audience with the king. And, and we know that Esther invited um, the king and Haman to the banquet, the first one, and also she did the second one. But now she has been granted the audience, and then she's asking the king the favor. And she said, the queen Esther answered and said, if I found favor in your sight, O king, it, it pleases the king, let my life be given at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue. Although the enemy could never compensate the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he? Who would dare presume, presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and before the queen. So we see, we see what's happening here. We see that 
Esther is given the audience and is now telling the, the king that, look, king, if you do not know, we are actually being, we are actually going to be killed. We are actually going to be destroyed, me also included. Because obviously when Esther was made, was made the wife of the king, she did not disclose that she was a Jew. And on verse 8, we know, on chapter 8 rather, we know what then happened in that the Bible records in Esther 8 verse 3, it says, Now Esther spoke again to the king and fell down at his feet and implored with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. To, see, to show you the immutability or the unchangeableness of the law of the Medes and the Persians is that though Haman was terrified that he had made the king to sign a decree ordering all the Jews to be killed in every province, he understood, Haman, that it was not going to be altered because it was signed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. And therefore, that decree could not be revoked. It could not be canceled. Therefore, Haman had set a debt. He had actually done, he cast laws to find the debt, the suitable debt on which the Jews were going to be killed. And he said, actually, it's going to be the 13th day of the 12th month when the Jews in all the provinces were going to be killed. And that decree was signed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. And the king held out his golden scepter, Esther 8.4 says, toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king and if I found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king and I'm pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? And listen to chapter 8, verse 8. This is the king saying to, to Mordecai, talking to Mordecai and Esther. And he said, you yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please. In the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. And says, by these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children, women, and plunder their possessions. On one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Ada. Now, instead of him revoking what he had signed, or what he was made to sign by Haman, to say, that shall not happen, let me just cancel the, the, the old agreement. He could not do it, because it was, the agreement was unalterable. Therefore, he had to make another decree, which is to say, you, the Jews, we are allowing you to be armed on the very same day. 
and every man who is going to try and attack you, arm yourselves and rather kill or defend yourselves. And the same decree was given according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Now you understand what we are talking about. A king, an earthly king, made decrees which were unalterable. Decrees which could not be altered according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Think about this. How about God's ways? How about God's principles? How about God's laws? How about God himself? As a matter of fact, this is what the Bible says about God. If, if you read Malachi chapter 3 verse number 6, this is what the Bible says about God. He said about himself, he says, I am God who does not change. All sons of Jacob, you shall not be consumed. He says, I do not change. I am the Lord. In Numbers 23 verse 19, Moses wrote this about God. And he says, for God is not man that should lie. No, the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said, and he will not do it? Has he not spoken, and will he not accomplish it? Will he not fulfill it? That's God. He is, his ways, his character, his nature is also unalterable. It, it cannot be changed. You cannot change God. Listen to what, to what, what James, James, James said, had to put this, it this way. J James 1 verse 17, it, it basically says, it's the scripture just kicked into, into, into my mind. You won't see it on the screen. And, and, and James says, he says, do not be deceived, for God is the father of lights. And he says, in him there is no variableness or variation, no changeableness. There is no shadow of turning. There is no shadow of turning in God. There is no variableness. There is no changeableness. He cannot change. In fact, the prophet Samuel, when he was talking to, to King Saul, in, in 1 Samuel chapter number 15, verse 29, he had to say this. At that point, he had given the words to Saul, and Saul had touched the garment of the prophet, and the, the garment of the prophet was torn. I'm just giving you the context. And the prophet said to Saul, he says, even today, as you had torn my garment, your kingdom is torn. And then he says, the strength of Israel will not lie, neither will he relent. For he is not man, he is not going to relent. All this is, is, is talking about, about the immutability. It is talking about the unchangeableness of God. The character of God that he cannot lie, he cannot change, he, he, cannot, he cannot tilt. You see, the principles of God, they, they, they are unchangeable. As I was speaking right now, I, I just thought about a certain scripture in Hebrews. 
I'll read this one. It's, it's an amazing scripture. Hebrews 6, his, Hebrews 6 says this to say, in verse 13, he says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear to no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I'll bless you, and multiplying, I'll multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them the end of all dispute. That's God determining to show, to show them an abundantly to their heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled to refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The writer of Hebrews is basically saying the promise of God himself cannot be altered. He says, and God, when he was making a promise to Abraham, he said it, he could not swear by anything that is greater. Because men, you are known, you can swear by your mother because your mother, you deem her to be, to be, to be greater. You can swear by someone who thinks is greater and say, I'm telling you, I'm telling you this truth. I swear. And even they say, on my mother's grave, they say. And when you, someone says that, then even if you are doubting that they are going to pay back, you say, no, they will pay. <laughs> they will pay. But God could not swear by anyone who was greater. But by two immutable things, which is his promise, his promise itself and his nature. He showed to them abundantly the immutability of his counsel. What am I saying? What I'm basically trying to say here is that God can not change. And his ways, seeds, they cannot be altered unless they are altered by the delegated authority within those seeds. And God gave us, gave men in the beginning, Adam, not me, Adam, he was given a delegated authority. And this is, this is what the Bible says concerning the, the delegation of that authority. In Genesis 1.26, the Bible says, let's make men in our own image and after our own likeness and let him have dominion over the fishes of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and every creeping thing on the earth. That was the dominion that was given to men. Even the psalmist says in Psalms chapter number eight, he says this, he says, I look, I consider heavens the work of your fingers. He says the moon and the stars you have ordained. And he says in Marvel, what is man, O Lord? What is man? What is man? He asks the question, he says, what is man, O oh Lord, that you think about him always? What is man that you, the son of man, that you visit him? 
And you have made him a little lower than angels. And you have crowned him uh, with glory and honor. And you have given dominion over all things. And you have put him, you have put all things under his feet. Man was given a delegated authority. But we know the story, right? We know how that authority was lost. We know the story. For Adam, by sinning, by disobeying God, he actually lost the authority. Is it true? Let's listen to, to, the word, to the words of the devil when he was tempting Jesus. What did he say? So the authority was given to the devil. Satan took the authority, the dominion. And let, let's read Luke. Luke chapter 4, verse number 5. This, this is what, 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 what the Bible says. He says, Then the devil took him up on a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. That's what he was saying. This was delivered to me, and I give him to whomsoever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, all will be yours. That's what he said. So we see here that men lost. That was not supposed to be to be changed. But man lost his authority. And then the devil took it. God had to, in his wisdom, in his, in his plan, had to send another man. Oh, say after me, after me, the second man. God had to send a second man. Oh boy, <laughs> I like this one. I like the sound of this. Now, um, you, know, you know, my name is Adam, right? So sometimes when I meet people, they, they, they greet me and they say, hello, first man. And, and I'm always, I always quick to answer, I'm like, I'm not the, the first man, <laughs> praise the Lord. Because the Bible records of another Adam. The Bible put it this way that there is a last Adam, not the second Adam. He's the second man, the last Adam. Let's, let's read 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 46. This is what he says. He says, however, I'll start, I'll start from, from verse 45. He says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a living, a life-giving spirit. He says, the first man who was Adam, he was a living being. But the last Adam, who is he talking about when he's saying the last Adam? Who is he talking about? Definitely he's not talking about me. He's talking about Jesus. He says the last Adam is the life-giving spirit. So what Adam, the first Adam lost, 
This, the last Adam was supposed to bring it back. I'll, I'll show us in a moment what the Bible says about the last Adam. He says, however, verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. He's basically saying the first Adam was a natural man. Actually, he puts it, he's an earthly man. But the last Adam is spiritual man. He says, the first man was of the earth, of, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord. Oh, the second man. Someone says the second man. The second man is the Lord. He's the last Adam. And, and then he says, as, as was the man of the dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Say after me, I am heavenly. I am heavenly. I am heavenly. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to like this. You see, you, 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 you are the, you are the, pre, the priesthood of God. Hallelujah. You see, when, when the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrew, in Hebrews chapter 12, my favorite scripture, on, on, on verse number, number 24, when he starts to write, actually he starts from, from, from verse 18, where he says, you have not come to a mountain that quakes. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, meaning Mount Sinai. He says, you have not come to that mountain. He says, where, where have you come? He says, you have come to, to a heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to, 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 to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You are heavenly. I am heavenly. Praise the Lord. Now, let's, let's go a little bit further about this. So what we are, what we are establishing is that the man... The first man lost his authority. He lost his dominion. But the last, the second man, the last Adam, had to come back and bring it. Praise the Lord. This is what Romans, what Romans says. I like what the, Romans 5 verse 12. This is what the, 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 writer, the writer says. He says, Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. Sin entered the world through one man. And he says, and death through sin. It's like as a consequence of sin, death, it reigned. Thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. What it just basically means is that People became knowledgeable about sin because the law was put in. So if you read the book of Galatians, it says, people be became knowledgeable of sin because of the law. That's another subject. But what we are focusing on, on, on right now is this. Listen to, to the next verse. It says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type, say a type, so here he's saying, they had not sinned according to the transgression of the first man, who was Adam. But that Adam, 
he writes, Paul writes, that Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Do you follow me? So the last Adam was that type. Jesus is the type of Adam, of the first Adam. Listen to what he, what, what he did. He says, who is the type of him who has to come? Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For it by one man's offense, men died. Which means by the offense of the first Adam, men died. Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is an amazing, this is the pinnacle of what I've been saying all along. If you, if you have been sleeping, now it's time to wake up. Let me tell you this. So what the writer in Romans is basically saying, he's basically, Paul is saying that there was a man who was a type of the first Adam who was to come. And the first man who is Adam, he sinned. And when he sinned, sin entered into the world. And all men sinned. And death since that time reigned because sin entered into the world. But he's saying, by the same token, as sin was actually imputed to all, as sin reigned on all men from Adam, He's basically saying that when Jesus came, he was also a type of the first Adam. But because of the disobedience of the first Adam, he overcame by obedience. And as the first man disobeyed and the sin entered and reigned, the second man, the last Adam, he obeyed and the gift of righteousness was imputed to all. Amen. Then he says, they that receive, oh God, oh, 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 oh. He says, they that receive the gift of righteousness. What you are going to do is just receive. He says, they that receive the gift of righteousness and of the abundance of grace, they shall do what? They shall reign, 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 reign. They shall king in this life, in heaven, no. He says, they shall reign in this life by one, Jesus Christ. In other words, just like the Persian king gave the power to the Jews to defend themselves, God did not leave us to die because of the unalterable law. He sent an answer. The answer came in Jesus. Oh, God. I feel that there's someone who is missing me right now. And I'm going to repeat this just for your sake. Oh, that's how God loves you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Listen, God did not leave us. The Bible says, yes, to put it this way, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God did not leave us powerless. 
God did not leave us at the mercy of what the sin could do because the punishment of sin is death. Just like the decree that was given, which was not alterable, they were going to be condemned to death. And the king had to alter, he did not alter, rather, had to make another decree to empower the Jews to defend themselves. God, in his love, had to send another type of Adam. The Bible says the last Adam, the second man. He had to take our place on the cross. He had to die in our place. Actually, Paul put it this way. Paul says, if one man died, therefore we conclude that all have died. When Christ Jesus was crucified on the cross, we were crucified together with him. Then when we went, when he went to hell, when he died, we died with him. When he rose from the dead, we rose with him. He did not, he did not leave it this, that way. The Bible says he rose and he ascended into heaven. And he sat at the right hand of power. And, and in Ephesians chapter 1, we are told that we are seated together with him in the heavenly places. Far above every power, above every principality, above every rule, above every kingdom. We are seated with him. You can't sit with him because he is seated there after victory. What it means is when he sat there, we sat with him. What it means is that whatever process that he went through to get seated, we went through with him. Say this after me. Say, I am a victor. I am a victor. I am a victor. I am a winner. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. You see, that's, that's the way it is. It says, through Christ Jesus. I am more than a conqueror. The reason you are more than a conqueror is that when you, someone has conquered, he had done it alone. So they say he has conquered. But the reason we are more than conquerors, <laughs> because he did it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We claim the victory. Praise the Lord. We are seated with him. In the, that's your position. That's your position. That's your positionally. We are seated. Listen. Oh, something just came to my mind. See, you see that banner, which is actually coming from Matthew chapter 28. Should be around verse 18. Jesus, to show you that he had conquered, to show you that he had taken the authority. In Luke chapter 4, where we read, Satan said, all authority was delivered to me. I will give to, everyone, to anyone who I wish. But in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Oh. <laughs> Go ye therefore. You understand this? 
We are more than conquerors. We are more than in Christ Jesus. Can we stand to our feet? Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.